Parables start off like pictures, then become mirrors, and then become windows. First, there's sight, as we see a slice of life in a picture. Then there's insight, as we see ourselves in the mirror. And then there's vision, as we look through the window of revelation and see the Lord. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Watermark Community Church. My name is John Elmore, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. If you're here as a guest or exploring the faith, special welcome to you. We, this summer, are in a series called The Parable. And so this is a time that we look at instances that Jesus shared to consider our own lives and who God is and how we live accordingly. Today, we're going to be carrying one of the most famous parables, maybe the most famous parable. And it's often called by theologians, the gospel within the gospel. You're going to see the good news of Jesus Christ within the good news that Luke delivers as the gospel. It's most often called the parable of the prodigal son. Now, having studied it for the last two weeks, I believe it's actually a wrong title. Um, I've looked at many commentaries who have pointed things out and I, and I find that I agree with them. I don't think this is a story about a prodigal son. I don't think it's a story about a self-righteous son. I think it's a story about a forgiving father and his two lost sons. One is lost in self-indulgence, self-rebellion. One is lost in self-righteousness. And you see the father extending forgiveness and going to them both, which changes everything. As you look at the parable, like, oh, we're not looking at a squanderer. We're looking at one who gives lavish grace to the self-indulgent and the self-righteous. And so we're going to be looking this week at the first part of the parable. Next week, TA is going to cover the second half. You're going to get two views of the father from these two sons. Again, each lost in their own choice of sin. And both sons are distant from the father. One's distant in a distant land, one's distant out in the field. Both sons, you see, want his presence, like a gift with a T, presence, rather than his presence and proximity. Both have sin, one in self-indulgence, one in self-righteousness. Only one acknowledges it, and thus you only see one with the Father, and the rest is left open-ended, as if to say to the Pharisees, yes, the tax collectors and sinners are with me. The question is, why aren't you? Because they believed they had no sin. And so to call this, rather than the forgiving father and his two lost sons, to call it the prodigal son is actually to fall prey to that Pharisee mindset, to be like, oh yeah, it's the one about the like great squanderer. It's like, no, no, it's a parable about a great father, whether it's a lost in rebellion or self-righteousness. And what Jesus uses here too, because some theologians say this is actually one parable showed in three different ways because um, in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read the entirety of it because a parable is, is uh, the meaning is found in the whole and not the particulars. And so um, though I'm going to be looking at a view of the father from the rebellious son, uh, we're going to read all of it. And what you have is, is what's called an a fortiori logic or argument, meaning it's going to go from lesser to greater for Jesus to accentuate and punctuate his point. It's this, if someone said, hey, if you lost $100 in your house, would you go look for it? And you'd be like, yeah, I'd look for a $100 bill. And they said, I thought so. What if you lost 500? You'd be like, absolutely. They'd be like, I thought so. What about a million? And you'd be like, 
Yes, yes, of course. And that's precisely what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, you'd look for a lost sheep, right? And they'd say, hey, of course, we'd look for a lost sheep. Like that's, that has value and worse. Yeah, I, I thought so. Hey, what about a day's wage, a denarii? Like, would you look for that if you lost that amount of money? They'd be like, absolutely. And then he says, what about a lost person? What's the worth of an immortal soul? And he's putting to the face of the Pharisees, they're lost, they're dead. And I have come that they might be found. And you're grumbling about this? What is the value of a person? An immortal soul or spend eternity in heaven or hell? Are they not of greater worth? And so we're gonna read now from Luke 15. And you're gonna see three things in these parables that all have the same parallel in the parable. One, you've got a person of owner or authority. There's a person uh, that has possessions, they're in charge, something goes lost. That owner then goes into a relentless search until it's found. Once it's found and restored back to the owner, there's this like huge celebration. Those are the parallels that you'll see in all three of these parables. And so I'm reading from the ESV. You'll see it on the screen or you can turn there in your Bible if you brought it. Luke chapter 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, scribes are those who copied the law on, the, on your manuscripts just day after day after day. And, and in copying it that much, they're committing it to memory. They're just soaked in it. And so they know it by heart. The Pharisees and the scribes, those who had the law on lock, they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them even. So not only does he receive them, he's, he's fellowshipping with them. So because of that, he told them this parable. Again, this parable, it's a response to, to them saying, you have grossly misunderstood the love of the Father. Jesus would say elsewhere, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He would say, I and the Father are one. And so he's about to project himself into all three instances within these parables. He's gonna be like, oh, you, you wanna know why? Let me tell you a story. What man of you? It's a rhetorical question because he's like, all of you, all of you would do this. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? I'm not gonna give it an hour search or even a three day search. I'm gonna search until it's found. There you have a glimpse into the love of the father. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. This is also the love of the father. He's like, you don't walk back. You don't pay penance. I'm putting you on my shoulders. I carry you back rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I've found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And in that he's actually drawing them off sides because they would have been like, Exactly. They need to repent. And he's like, you've missed it. Everyone has sin and everyone needs to repent. You're the 99 who think you don't need to repent when every single person has sin, all have fallen short of the glory of God and need to repent. So I'm rejoicing over the one that actually does. He continues and says, what woman having 10 coins? It's a denarii. It's a day's wage. If she loses one, it's a large amount of money. We're talking, we're talking about a quarter 
a day's wage, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. There's the diligent seeking and again the word until. I'm not gonna stop until what is lost is found. My love compels me to do so. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And at that, again, they would have said, amen. May the sinners repent, the Pharisees and scribes. So then with his from lesser to greater logic, he then goes into, so, okay, lost sheep, we're all in agreement. Lost coins, still in agreement. What about a lost person? And he said, There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. A lot of commentaries, a lot of preachers have said, this is the equivalent of saying you're dead to me. I don't want you, I want your money and I'm gone the second you give it to me. And for that, the Old Testament would have even said stone them to death, it's a rebellious son. Not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. We know it's Gentile land by what follows. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs were eating, No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself or to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. By the way, he was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but... His father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him and said to him, the father said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
The most repeated word in that entire parable is the word father. Father, 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 father. Jesus is saying, you don't understand the love of the father, nor do you understand the gravity of sin that you have. The tax collectors and sinners are being drawn near to me. They're listening with me. They're dining with me because they are keenly aware of their sin, but you Pharisees don't, and so you grumble. But they're drawn near to me. And the parables are response to that question. It's, it, it, they're saying, why are you eating with them? And it's the wrong question. The question is, why are you not eating with me? Because you believe you don't have sin. And if you don't have sin, you really don't have a need for a savior. You have no need for Jesus apart from your sin. That is what will bring you to the Father, is an awareness of sin to place your faith in Jesus. And so the point is not the prodigal and the point is not the self-righteous son. The point is this unrelenting searching of the father for those who are lost and all are lost, that they would receive his grace. And so where we're gonna go today in our outline is bottomless sin. Bottomless sin meets endless forgiveness And with God, it never stops there. He doesn't just forgive. This is mind blowing. Like so personally has affected me. It's enough that I would be forgiven. But then he goes on to give just speechless restoration. Bottomless sin meets endless forgiveness and then speechless restoration. Let's begin. Bottomless sin. Jesus tells this story because they say, hey, the tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to you and you eat with them. And so he does, he goes into this like, well, you'd, you'd go after a lost sheep and you'd go after a lost coin. What about, let me tell you something. What about a lost son? Like you guys are dads probably. He's talking to the Pharisees. If one of your kids was lost, would you go after them? And they're thinking, yeah, of course, but not that scoundrel. What he does is he paints a worst case scenario. He goes like low bottom center. This is bottomless sin. In recovery circles, I came out of AA. Uh, I walked into AA in 2005 and and that's what God used to uh, get me to look up to him. And in those circles of AA, recovery circles, they have what's called a low bottom drunk. This is someone that when you like, you see them like, oh, they got a DUI. I bet that's gonna be their bottom. But they don't turn, they keep drinking. And it's like, oh, they actually, now they've got like aggravated assault with public intoxication. Wow, I thought, I thought this was the bottom. That's not the bottom. Oh, involuntary manslaughter in prison time. Oh, they lost their family and kids. They, Jesus is portraying a low bottom sinner. He's like, oh, you think the tax collectors and sinners are bad? Let me tell you a story. There was this kid. He was, uh, you know, he had a dad. He had another brother. And he said, hey, dad, give me my share of the inheritance. Like, they would have been like, but the dad wasn't dead yet. You can't do that. He's saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Yeah, he got his money. He didn't then buy a house next door. Like, okay, and we'll have Thanksgiving together. He's like, cool, I'm gone, dad. I'm going into Gentile land. What are you gonna do with the money? I'm gonna blow it on reckless reckless living. I'm gonna get drunk. I'm gonna see prostitutes. That's how I'm using your inheritance, dad. The Pharisees literally per Old Testament law would have been like stone him to death but it wasn't enough because then a a famine comes upon the land and they already would have been like pulling their hair out, mind blown, like 
this, this, this one deserves death. And Jesus would have been like, nah. So it gets worse. You think that's the bottom? No, there's a low bottom center. Because then when the famine came, he hired himself out. They would have been like, well, he should have. He needs to work off his debt to a pig farmer. They would have been like, what? No, they're unclean. You can't do that. And then he would have said, <laughs> maybe he leaned in. He even wanted to eat the pig food. I mean, they would have like torn their clothes and been like, no, like here's a picture of what pigs eat. This is a picture of trash. I lived in an orphanage in Haiti. There were pigs. We fed them the trash. And I think it's probably why they're unclean animals. And God says, don't eat them in the Old Testament. They're like the shrimp of the sea that they're like cockroaches. Just eat all the trash. Some of you just like, what? That's what shrimp do? Yes. Bottom feeder catfish. These are land dwelling catfish that just eat trash. Now, praise God, we're in the New Testament and, and you can eat bacon. I love bacon. That's Acts chapter 15, but it's a different message. But this is what he's saying. He longed to eat what the pigs were eating. This is what they would have had in mind and been like, no, no, no. He's the most unclean person ever. And they would have heard the whole parable and been like, that, that bottomless sin? That's who got forgiven and restored? You see, he was steeped in sin. It wasn't like just a little bit of sin. This brother, he went full bore, full sin. I'm all in on this sin. And it would have like confused the Pharisees so much, so much. And so let me tell you what this church is for and any church that's truly a church. It is for people who are steeped in sin, just as he was or that's present tense, who are steeped in sin or who were steeped in sin. I used to be steeped in sin. Or third, and there's no one else invited. The third is for those who still step in sin. You see, those who are here either are steeped in sin, were steeped in sin or still step in sin. We were at this farmer's market recently with my kids and we're walking through, looking at the stuff, and we come to this booth, and this guy, no joke, is selling rocks, which feels like criminal because rocks are free, but here we are, and my kids want to buy rocks. I'm like, guys, I'll, like, I'll, I'll give you all the rocks you want. Like, we don't have to buy them. And, and uh, so they're wanting to buy, like, pyrite and a crystal or whatever else, and the sign says metaphysical rocks. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to pray over these rocks. They got, like, demons on them. <laughs> And then my son picks up this little jar. He's like, what's this? And the guy's like, oh, oh, you gotta wait till you're an adult. Cause it was drugs. He's selling like mushrooms and weed. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what in the world? So I'm like, you know, Judd's like, I want the fool's gold. I'm like, yeah, this fool, all right. Like, and so we buy it and he's like, you know what? Here, buddy, you wanna have an extra. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to wash these rocks. They probably have fentanyl trace on them. Like, and uh, we're walking away. And the kids were like, he was so nice. He gave us free rocks. I'm like, yeah, he's selling different kind of rocks too, but nonetheless, and we're walking. And they said, do you think he knows Jesus? He was so nice. I was like, no, I don't, I don't think he knows Jesus. And they're like, why? I'm like, cause he's selling illegal drugs in Richardson, Texas. And they're like, he was? <laughs> Just like little hearts shattered. And, and, then, and then they stop and they're like, dad, you've got to share the gospel with him. Yeah, Oz, right. They're like, he's going to go to hell, dad, if he doesn't know Jesus. And I'm like, oh, man, we're supposed to go to the pool. <laughs> and I was like, all right, 
all right, you're right, you're right. Here, sit in the car. I grew up in the 80s, that's what we did. We put kids in cars, the AC was going, so don't send me an email. I know it's like, pets and children. I'm like, whatever. Uh, they're sitting in the car, I walk back to this guy, no joke, he's got two frozen wines with straws, like carrying them. I was like, hey man, I used to be addicted to that stuff. He's like, oh, okay. I was like, I was, yeah, it almost killed me. But I cried out to Jesus and he set me free. Has anyone ever told you about Jesus? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, can I tell you, like, here's the thing. Because man's made a mess of religion and the Bible's a big book. All it is, is God loves you. We all have sins. So he sent Jesus to die in our place that we could be forgiven. That's it. It's super simple, but profoundly changing. Like I got a wife and kids now. Like he'll just like change you. Have you ever heard that? He's like, no, not really. And I was like, well, is, is anything keeping you from being forgiven today? Like placing your faith in Jesus? And he's like, you know, holding his two wines. He's like, yeah. Yeah, there's something keeping me from trusting in Jesus for my sins. I was like, well, what? He's like, I've never sinned. I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I hate to break it to you, but you're selling drugs. <laughs> uh, I was like, you've never lusted? And he's like, no. I'm like, you have a pulse? <laughs> I was like, have you ever been prideful? No. Lied? No. Stolen? No. And I'm like, well, I believe that everyone has. I know I have. I have today even. So that's why I need Jesus. And I think someday maybe you're going to do something wrong. And before you die, you need to ask to be forgiven because when you die, you'll face judgment and spend eternity in heaven or hell. And at this point, man, he's like checked out and probably sipping on both of them. And I was like, that's it. You just have to be forgiven. No, He's like, I'm a good person. I'm like, ah, you're good deeds. I'm sure you are a good person. You gave my kid a free piece of pie, right? But it doesn't undo your sin. And he's like, I just see things differently. True. But you don't need a savior apart from your sin. Because he didn't see his sin like the Pharisees, he didn't need a savior, he didn't need Jesus. He didn't think he was lost, so why would he need the forgiveness of the Father? I wanna do a little experiment. I don't think we've ever done this before. Might come across as a little strange, but I'm gonna ask all, anyone who's visiting or a guest, you stay seated. This is a, a members only thing. You're like, see, members only. Wait for it. If you are a member and you sinned in the last week, would you please stand? Yeah. Okay, now turn to your neighbor and ask them what they did. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, you can have a seat. Well, wait, like all of you who are visiting, that's what church is. We're not here because we're perfect. We're here because we've got sin and we have a perfect savior. The perfect provision who laid down his life for the forgiveness of sins. That's why we came through this door. Not as perfect Pharisees as those who are like, man, I got sin. I need a savior. I need to be forgiven so I can be adopted by the father. And so I just want to make it super safe for you as a visitor or guest. If you've walked through these doors, like, I don't know if I'm like them. Well, there's the great equalizer. And I could have probably said today and everyone still would have stood. That's my point. That's the point that Jesus is trying to draw is like everybody's got sin, but not everybody's got a savior. The question's not why do I eat with them? The question's not why are you not eating with me? 
And then he goes through his own way of trying to work out his sin. He says that he's going to work his way out of his sin. It says um, that he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'll be one of your hired hands. He's going to work his way out of this. This is a works-based salvation. See also every other religion. He's going to try to work his way out of it. He's already rehearsed it. I'll never do it again, God. I promise. The last time was the last time. I'm going to try harder. Never works. A regeneration, oftentimes, you know, it's our biblically based Christ-centered recovery program. I've served there in the last 12 years. It's a little throwaway. That's not a throwaway, it's profound. Someone told me once, if you want to know what God's going to do with your future, take a good look at your past because God will redeem it and use it. So recovering alcoholic, there I am serving in region the last 12 years and people will be walking with me and they'll start to experience having had bottomless sin. They'll start to experience forgiveness and restoration. They're like, I just don't understand how God could forgive me. And it's, it's, maybe he's reconciled my marriage or now I'm in communication with my adult children again or whatever it may be, or I got a job. Or, and, and they'll say, I just feel so unworthy. And I'll say to them, and I think it takes, they're, they're a little taken aback. I'll say, oh, you are. You're totally unworthy. That's the point. I mean, what's the opposite? The antithesis is if you were to say that you're worthy, like you're, that you're worthy to be forgiven of sin, that you're worthy to receive these things from God. You are all together. I am all together. We are all together unworthy. That's the point of the gospel. And yet God sends his son to die for our sins. And so while we are unworthy because of our sin, God sees us as great worth like the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. He's like, no matter what you've done, no matter what your bottomless sin is, I'm coming after you because I love you. And then the other thing, it says before he goes back to his father, he's rehearsed his speech, but it says he longed to eat the pods the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. This is really important. Usually this gets overlooked. I think if someone would have given him something, if they would have given him that trash to eat, he would have stayed in the distant land. Like he didn't need to go back until and unless no one gave him anything. And at that point, he's like, well, I guess I got to go back. And this is one of the teachings of a ministry we have by this very namesake called the prodigal. It's for people who have a loved one in rebellion, how to love with right and biblical boundaries so that you don't get sucked into the craziness because one crazy person's enough. And I can call him crazy because I used to be one. And so it's like, all right, how do I love you without enabling you? You're an alcoholic addict and I'm letting you sleep on my couch. I think I'm actually enabling your lifestyle. This isn't good. You know, you're a porn addict and you're in my house and I'm still paying the internet bill. Why have I not cut this off? Proverbs 19:18 says, discipline your son for in this there is life. And then it says this profound thing. It says, do not be a willing party to their death. If you're enabling someone in their sin, you're being a willing party to their death. That's sobering. Somebody in here just lost their free ride, but it's good. Consequences are good because consequences lead you to turn to the Father. Apart from my consequences of sin, I didn't need Jesus. I started to feel the sting and reality of it, and I was on my knees pleading for Jesus. And then my bottomless sin met endless forgiveness. Endless forgiveness. You have no access to the Father through your own righteousness or any preventing your access by your bottomless sin. It is only the forgiveness of the Father that will grant you access to him. That is the only way to God. The only way to God 
is through the Son, his death, burial, and resurrection. That is how you gain entrance to the Father, is only through the forgiveness of sins. You'll never get there by your own righteousness, and you will never be kept there by your bottomless sin. It is only his endless forgiveness. And no matter what the sin was, like Jesus lays out this low bottom sinner, like he was steeped in it, and he's like, and all he had to do was turn. That's repentance. All he had to do was turn. He didn't have to stop, he just had to turn. So oftentimes when we hear the word repent, we we think stop. Like, oh, you're addicted to porn or you're addicted to alcohol, your control struggle, stop. It's not stop, it's turn. If you're lost in the woods and you stop, you will die in the woods. If you're lost in the woods and you turn, you actually will find your way out. Here Jesus says, no matter how far gone you are, turn, turn back to the Father. And it's endless forgiveness. This is Psalm 103, where it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated our sins from us. And it's like, not just like, you know, here to El Paso. He's like endless. He stands outside of this earth. So it's an infinite measure by God's perspective. East to west, like that's infinite. He's like, that's how far I've removed your sins from you. And in that same Psalm 103, he says, as a father has compassion on his children and remembers we're dust. Just this love of the father, endless forgiveness. But all we have to do is turn. When we were newlyweds, Laura and I were out on a walk. We, we lived in the M streets, like right there by the Granada, like two houses away from the Granada, all the bars, all shucks, all that. Like our house got broken into. It smelled like stale beer every morning. I mean, it was like, it was rough. Um, if you live there, it's a charming neighborhood with beautiful old houses. But uh, we uh, <laughs> were out for a walk one night. I think it was like 10 o'clock. And I said something super rude as a dumb newlywed. And she literally just starts running like, you know what? I'm going to go for a jog. I don't want to be with you anymore. And at first I was like, good, run on along. And then as I'm like watching her get smaller and smaller in the horizon and thinking about the neighborhood that we're in and all the ingestion of alcohol and whatnot, I'm like, okay, all right, all right. Conviction kicked in and I start running after her. But I didn't want her to know that I was chasing after her because like a chase dog, if you chase them, they just run more. So I'm like, <laughs> sneak attack. And she stops as she gets back to the house and like hears me and she turns around. It's like, oh, what are you? And, and it's like seeing her on the horizon. I felt compassion. I fell on her neck and embraced her and we kissed. No, rom-com. It didn't happen like that. Uh, but I ran after her because of my love. I wasn't going to let her run away from me. But different in the parable, you have someone running to someone in sin, not because of the sin they committed, the sin that was committed against them. And the one that was running, all they had to do was turn. No matter how far they had run, turn. And there are met with the father. They turned and the father's on the horizon waiting and runs, kisses, embraces. And then this incredible restoration. I think a lot of times we vacillate between Galatians 5 and Galatians 3. And here's what I mean. I think we have, once we receive forgiveness of sins, we can fall into a trap of works-based salvation, works-based sanctification. So Galatians 5 is the wrestling of the flesh and the spirit. He says, you, don't, you do what you don't want to do. Like the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And he goes on to talk about the fruit of the flesh and then the fruit of the spirit. He's like, there's, there's drunkenness and envy and jealousy and rage and fits of anger. That's all that in, in five. 
And I think we trust in Jesus and then we like go backwards in our faith to Galatians 3. In Galatians chapter 3, he's talking to the, the Galatian church, the Judaizers. They're like, well, we'll trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but now we're going to follow all the rules because that's how we're going to be right with God. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's a false gospel. And if anyone gives you a gospel other than the one that I have told you, let them be eternally accursed. He uses strong language. He even says, like, go ahead and emasculate yourselves to stop reproducing this heretical theology. Because what they were doing was, and it says it here in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, I think you'll see it on the screen. He says, he says you foolish Galatians, let me ask you one thing. Did you receive the Spirit? Like when you trusted in Jesus and the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt, you didn't, when you received the Spirit, was it by following the law or by hearing with faith? And they would have said, well, of course. It wasn't by following the law. It was by hearing with faith. And he said, do you now think you'll be complete by following the law? Are you going to be perfected, completed, sanctified by good works? And it's what the, what the son was doing here. He's like, oh, man, I've blown it. I'll go back to the Father and I'll work this off. He's like, no, you can't, you can't. The only way this is going away is through forgiveness. And so I don't think we're prone here to like a prosperity gospel, but I think we could be in danger of a good works gospel. A good works gospel that says like, all right, God, I trust you and I'm gonna live good. And as I live good, now you do good to me. My life just goes well. I get the job, I get the girl. My life's not gonna have stress. I'm not gonna get cancer. Like, I'm going to do good, and then I'm going to live good. And what the scripture says is like, no, no, the sufferings of Christ are going to overflow to you. The point is not that you follow the rules. The point is that you're in a relationship. And then you get to Galatians 5 where it says, and by the way, you can't produce any good. You abide in me, and I will bear good in you. The promised land that had the like huge bunch of grapes that they carried to carry between sticks that was so big, that was God's promised land. They didn't grow those grapes. In the same way, the big fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all that, like that big, amazing fruit, that's all his fruit. He just says, walk with me. The son just needed to return. He couldn't work that off. He just needed to be in relationship with him. Abide and he will bear good. Endless forgiveness. You want to you know who some of my, well, it's not some, my favorite people here at the church. And, and I know the Bible says don't show favoritism. So I'm not going to show it, but truly in my heart, they're my favorites. I just won't let you know it. I'll treat you all the same. But my favorites are the people at Regen, at Regeneration, every Monday night, who are seeking healing in Christ. And they're my favorite because they're poor in spirit. They know they've got nothing. They've got nothing. They have walked through these doors volitionally, been like, all right, God, I need you. I, I, I've squandered what you've given me. It's yours. I'm ready. I'm listening. And it doesn't mean that you have to be at region to be poor in spirit, but it's a pretty good indicator if you are. And I love it about them because people are moldable when they are poor in spirit. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here's the crazy paradox. This is wild. You could have like sin stacked up to this roof, like reams of paper with all your sins stacked to the roof. And if you see it and you're aware of it, that's actually a better place to be than if you had one sheet of paper with your sin listed on it and you didn't see it. 
this person is better off if he has sin to the ceiling and he sees it versus one that has one little sheet and doesn't see it. That's what's going on right here with the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners that are drawing near to him. Which is why in Matthew 21, he says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because they, they know their need. That's all they have is need. And so they're coming to me. And so blanket invitation for all to come to regeneration on Monday nights at 6.30, this coming Monday because of the holiday, it'll be in the West Tower. Typically it's in this room. And we need leaders too. We need leaders to take those people. Can you imagine if the son came back towards the house and he found no father on the horizon? And sometimes people are coming to Regen, but we don't have the leaders ready. And so invitation, if you've never been through Regen, that's okay. Like all it is is biblical discipleship, spoiler alert. It's a daily walk with God in community. We can teach you that. What we can't teach you is to be faithful, abiding, and repentant. But if you are, I'm inviting you to sign up as a spiritual mother or father to come see some miracles before your eyes, serving at Regen. So bottomless sin meets endless forgiveness. And then with God, there's always more. Now we have speechless restoration. Speechless restoration. I say speechless because the son wanted to come with his speech. Like, let me tell you, like I've sinned against you and heaven. And, and, and the father cuts him off. He's like, no, no, no. He starts talking to his servants even. Like, I'm gonna tell you what to do now. Like, I'm not even hearing your speech. This is gonna be without a speech that I give you restoration. Like, I just needed you to return to me. As it says in Joel chapter two, verse 13, just return to me. Don't rend your clothes, rend your heart, return to me. I'm loving, compassionate, steadfast, slow to anger. Just return. There's, there's, there's no need for a speech. I just want you. So speechless there, but then speechless also, double entendre, like mind blown, like I don't even have words for what's going on here. Like the, the restoration that's being bestowed upon this squandering son, they did not have words for it. Like, you're giving who, what? He just squandered everything. And you're gonna give him the best robe or ring, sandals and kill the fatted calf? Are you kidding me? They were speechless. When we moved into our house, our house was built in 1963. It had some work to be done. It was an old house. Things were broken, messed up, dysfunctional based on how the old owner wanted them. And so we're like knocking out walls, like me taking a sledgehammer to things. We're moving things around, raising up cabinets, changing the backyard, putting the, even, even the like fencing changed. And it was clear there was a new owner in that house. And so it was changing. When I say speechless restoration, I don't mean that we took our house back to its former state when it was made in 1963. I mean speechless restoration, like your mind's gonna be blown at what God will do with your life if you will give him your life. If you will repent and say, all right, I've, I've tried being Lord of my life. Here's the keys. Do what you see fit. You will have speechless restoration, not to like before your sin really got bad 10 years ago, like a life you have never dreamed of. This is what it says in Psalm 126, one of my favorite Psalms. It says, when the Lord brought the captives back from Zion, back to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. 
They had been taken in captivity to Babylon because of their sin. God brings them back, which was altogether unthinkable to them. Like, we're going to die in Babylon. God brings them back through incredible circumstances. And he says, we're like men who dreamed. Like, how is it that we're looking at Temple Mount? How is it that we're back in Jerusalem? How is it that we're here? There was speechless restoration. And you go on in that Psalm and he says, it happens fast. He says, he who weeps with carrying seed to sow will come back carrying sheaves or the harvest with shouts of joy. Like in the matter of seed to harvest is what it takes God to perform miracles in somebody's life, speechless restoration. And so here it is, some of the restoration that takes place. He says, bring the best robe. He doesn't say a robe. He says, best robe. When Rembrandt painted the prodigal, the return of the prodigal is what it's called. He's in these tattered clothes and you see the father in rich garments. It's, it's the father, if you could put that painting into life, the father taking off his garment and wrapping him up, the best robe, he would have had the best robe. And spiritually speaking, this is what is going on in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is like, I'm giving you my righteousness. You are naked and filthy in your sin. I'm wrapping you up in my righteousness. Now I'm going to take your filthy garments and I'm going to put them on me, which is Colossians chapter 2. All our sin was nailed to Jesus, the best robe, not a robe, the best robe. That is the great exchange. And then the ring, authority, ownership. Jesus says in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been granted unto me. Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. He's like, you're not servants, you're sons. Athanasius said, the one who was son by nature has made sons and daughters now by grace. You've been brought into the family. You're not a hired servant. You got the keys. You got the deed. It's all yours. We are co-heirs with Christ. He was a son and he has made us now sons and daughters. And then sandals, which was, you know, it's seemingly insignificant to us, but a hired servant would have been barefoot. This showed like, this showed everybody. Okay, best robe, well, you know, he was naked, needed some clothes. Now, wait, he's got, he's got shoes on. He's not like one of us. He said he wanted to be a hired hand. The father won't allow it. He won't have it. It's an identity thing. When you read your New Testament, it doesn't say that you're sinners. This is, um, I think has become like commonplace for us to say, well, I'm just a sinner as a Christian. You were a sinner. Now scripture says you're a saint. You're not a sinner who saints. You're a saint who sins. Paul right into the Corinthian church who were like licentious in their sin, like a guy sleeping with his stepmom, you had homosexuality, you had prostitution. I mean, just like rampant sin, drunkenness, theft, all of it. He's like, you're saints. And they would have been like, excuse me? Who are you talking, what? No, you're saints. You're holy ones is the, is the term, hagios. You're holy ones, saints of God. And yes, you still sin, which you need to repent from. There's not perfection, there's progression as you follow Christ. It's an identity. He's, giving, he's restoring identity to the son and then this last one, I think this last one's so powerful, is that you don't just get restored speechless restoration, you get speechless relationship. So maybe you've eaten at a fancy Dallas restaurant that has like farm to table, like, yeah, you know, this carrot we hand scrubbed and 
There it is, farm to table. This is the OG farm to table. Jesus is like, I'm taking this guy from the pig farm to the table. He's going from the trash, the pods, the pigs wanted to eat to the father's table from utter trash. Look at the juxtaposition on the screen. That's what this brother would have seen. Like I wanted that. I wanted the, the filth and stench of sin when what awaited me was, was the beauty and goodness and nourishment of the love of the father and he's restored to the father's table in right fellowship and through at that table, the means by which is the killing of the fatted calf. And I wonder, I don't mean to make too much allegory here because I believe the the parable is about the love of the father, but I wonder as if Jesus said, kill the fatted calf, if he would have gotten chills or shuddered or looked past the Pharisees unto Golgotha and thought, and I am the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world by laying down my life. I will be laid down in death that estranged and lost and dead sons and daughters would draw near to the Father through the Son who died the death for your sins, was buried and raised again to life that whoever would trust in him would not perish but have eternal life. And who wasn't there, who wasn't at the meal, was the self-righteous big brother. And the question wasn't, why do I eat with sinners? The question is, why are you not eating with me? Are you not a sinner? Do you not have sin to be forgiven? Some of the dearest brothers and sisters that I have in this church are ones who have bottomless sin, but they have been met with endless forgiveness, and I can tell you, speechless restoration. Some of those brothers and sisters are registered sex offenders. And, and they would want me to say, and they're here with all legal parameters, chaperones, avoidance plans. But if they can't come to church, where can they go? It's modern day leprosy. Former prostitutes, felons, drunkards, Addicts, porn addicts, sex addicts, mental health strugglers, suicidal. And I'm telling you here today in your hearing, they are some of the like most dear and favorite people that I know in this church, not because of their bottomless sin, because they've met endless forgiveness and it is speechless restoration. And if some of those things that I just said made you cringe a little bit, then please come back next week and hear how the self-righteous son can be forgiven of sin also. Because the man who's playing the piano right now, he heard the first service and he said, go ahead and tell him my story. Five-time felon, meth addict, prison time. And he's leading you in worship. (laughs) That's, we have time. That is speechless restoration. And as he plays, let's pray. Father, thank you that you go after us as we are lost and that we need only turn and there you are to wrap us up in the righteousness of Christ to cover all of our sin. 
thank you, Lord, for what a speechless restoration. Those fingers that are playing those keys that committed five felonies now being used as an instrument of righteousness. Only you can do that. And there are those here who maybe need to be forgiven today or they've been forgiven but they haven't yet experienced that speechless restoration. And I pray they'd come forward to receive prayer and the grace of Jesus Christ. We love you, amen.